0: Cox Internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home Internet. Cox is the real home Internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas. Visit cox.com slash Internet for details.
1: From the era that brought you names like Chamberlain, Russell and West. That's Chamberlain. He's got it. Jerry West made it from the other side of the mid-court strike. To the glory days of Magic and Kareem. Johnson is on there celebrating. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is on the brink of an NBA all-time record. From a time where last-second shots were expected. Here comes Kobe. From way outside. Got it! Oh, man! Gets it to LeBron. for 3 for the win. Yes! LeBron James! And rings were handed out like candy. Won. Here's Jordan. Yes! He all over. The have won. It's Duncan Dynasty with your host, Garrett Bougay, and it starts right now. Welcome to another episode of Duncan Dynasty. I'm your host, Garrett Bougay, and with me for this week's episode, a very special guest. He's a second-time visitor on the program. He's also a fellow sports business classroom alum. His name is Shamir Riaz. Shamir, thanks so much for coming on. Thanks
2: for so much for having me.
1: Now uh, you can follow Shamir at his uh, his Twitter handle. It's at by Shamir. That's B Y S H A M E E R. Good follow there. I follow him as well as a lot of the uh, the, the sports business classroom guys. But uh, Shamir, I brought you on. We're going to talk about uh, some some second round previews. Of course, we're uh, we're still in the middle of the first round, but we've already got one series set up, and that is the uh, the Milwaukee Bucks versus the Boston Celtics. We're gonna break down that series in uh, in quite some detail, and then also uh, in the second half of the episode, we're gonna break down uh, the the much uh, anticipated Golden State Warriors versus Houston Rockets. I know we're committing a sin because we're recording this uh, on a Tuesday night, and both of those teams are up three one and technically haven't advanced yet. But we're gonna make the assumption that they will, and they will match up. So we're gonna we're gonna break down that series as well. Give our thoughts on on the other likely series. That we know of, which will be uh, the Toronto Raptors versus the uh, Philadelphia 76ers at the at the very end. But uh, first, we're going to talk about Milwaukee, Boston, and Shamir is going to be acting as the the Boston Celtics, and of course their head coach Brad Stevens. I will be acting as the Milwaukee Bucks and coach Mike Budenholzer, the likely coach of the year, Mike uh, Budenholzer. Uh, so I guess the the first question to ask uh, when we're we're talking about uh, the second round, Shamir is. Uh, as Brad Stevens and the Celtics, how did you feel your team performed in that round one sweep of the Pacers?
2: Yeah, so I felt really good about our performance. Initially, I thought Marcus Smart's loss would have had at least some impact, even though the Pacers aren't exactly elite on the wing. I think this is a series where we'll start seeing its impact. I think the Pacers series was actually a lot closer than I expected on a game-by-game basis. But I do feel like every game was a perfect summary of sort of how the Pacers season went, where, you know, like right after Victor Dillardy got hurt they started off hot but then towards the end of the season they sort of ran out of gas and that was sort of similar to how the games went is where indiana went up early in the first half and really they ran out of gas in the second half and they just couldn't keep any of their leads throughout the series so i feel pretty good especially because i was expecting marcus smart to at least cost us a game against indiana even you know again they don't have that wing depth
1: yeah, the uh, that series was 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 pretty interesting, and you're you're right. Indiana was competitive for for good chunks of that series, but it was just a quarter here or there where they completely bogged down. The Celtics' defense really took it to them, and and I thought the Pacers did a poor job of you know w- when they were actually doing well offensively. It was because they played with a lot of pace, and that uh, you know that third quarter of game one, and I believe it was the uh, the fourth quarter of of uh, game two. They uh, they really slowed down the pace, walked the ball up the floor, and with their lack of playmakers after losing Oladipo, that was just you know playing at such a slow pace and and not really getting into your offense until you know less than fifteen on the shot clock was just too much to overcome.
2: Yeah, of course. I, I agree completely. And I, I mean, as as Brad Stevens, I'm happy that we got the series done in the four games that we did, but I, I know that <laughs> Milwaukee isn't going to get any easier, especially with their continued absence of Marcus Smart.
1: Yeah, and you know Kyrie, of course, uh, missed missed the entirety of uh, of last postseason, and uh, he really showed up and and showed them why, uh, and showed Celtics fans why you know they missed him so much in in last year's playoffs, despite them making it to the conference finals and and nearly making the NBA finals. His ability in a in a grinded out sort of defensive battle, his ability to knock down shots and, and explode for for uh, big time point totals was was really the difference maker in that matchup. but uh, speaking from the Bucks perspective, uh, you know they, they faced off against a Pistons team that was you know not only one of the weaker playoff entrants, but uh, you know they were also dealing with the injury to Blake Griffin. He missed the first couple of games and then the last couple of games he, uh, he played and, and uh, fought through the, the pain but uh, was was definitely not a hundred percent. Uh, but, you know, the Bucs uh, did what they had to do. You can only play the team that uh, is up against you. And uh, the Bucks swept the Pistons, uh, you know, had a, a huge point differential in the series, won each game by, like, over 20 points, essentially. And uh, everybody that, uh, you know, everybody that you, you hope to play well for Milwaukee did. You know, Giannis put up big-time numbers like he did all season. Uh, Chris Middleton shot the ball well. Lopez shot, shot it well from three and averaged over three blocks a game. And even Nikola Miritich, who was injured towards the end of the year, uh, he also uh, came in and, and knocked down shots. So, uh, you know, outside of the fact that they're, they're missing Malcolm Brogdon and, and he will miss most likely the start of this series, uh, everybody that you would hope to play well for Milwaukee really did in that first round.
2: Yeah, my biggest takeaway from that series really was—I uh, I mean, I, I think most of the basketball community assumed that the Bucks were going to make quick work of the Pistons. But one thing I was curious to see is how Wooden would manage his rotations, especially—I mean, throughout the year he was notorious for just how long his rotations—he'd run eleven, twelve guys in a game. Yeah, I, he really wheeled it down in nine minutes with that bench really being counted in—George Hill, or Arzania and Miritich. So that's going to be interesting to see if that if that keeps hold for the rest of these playoffs.
1: Yeah, it it is uh it is crazy how much depth the Bucks have. You know, guys like DJ Wilson and Tony Snell who who came back from injury as well. Like uh, you know we're, were basically uh, garbage time guys they didn't get into the rotation and and I think for most teams they would be key rotation guys but uh, that just goes to show you how much uh, depth that that team has but looking at these teams and and their matchups during the regular season uh, they had a couple of uh, a couple of uh, really great games that came down to the wire Uh, as uh, as the Celtics and and Brad Stevens what did you learn from those uh, regular season matchups between the Celtics and Bucks? Yeah, so with the disclaimer that the rotation's changed a lot with
2: injuries and roster movement, of course, I think the biggest thing we looked for in the regular season is how how different Giannis was in the regular season compared to our series last year in the first round. I think we especially saw just the big leap he made this year in production because one of our strengths as Boston is Al Horford and how big of a threat he poses to any offense, but just how switchable he is. the rule, but I think that Giannis' development sort of supersedes it, unfortunately. And I, I think this year we've seen Giannis' improvement in the regular season, and I think this is the actual series where a lot of the national media is going to start paying attention in terms of the big-ticket series where we'll, we'll start to see a Giannis gain that top two three-player status. And as far as Boston goes, that is our biggest fear. I think Al Horford did at least a serviceable job switching on to him last year in the playoffs. I'm interested to see how that takes hold in the in the actual playoff this year in
1: our second round series. Yeah, the uh, the the Giannis matchup is going to be going to be super interesting because, as you said last year, they, they did a reasonably good job of bottling him up with the likes of Horford and Baines, and then also off the bench, Semi Ojeley did a, a a reasonable job. He's got the size and, and lateral quickness to at least prevent Giannis from just completely bulldozing, uh, you know, him to the basket and and that's the biggest thing is if you can keep Giannis from getting just a bunch of easy dunks and layups right at the rim, uh, it makes it a little bit tougher on him because that, that jump shot is still a, a bit of a weakness.
2: Yeah, of course, and that's one of the big things for me is another actually note just to add during the season of the game that I saw is I think a lot of where Milwaukee went is where, how well Brogdon and Middleton played, and obviously Brogdon's status for the series is still somewhat up in the air that's going to be a big factor for me to look into is if Brogdon, I think reports today, said that they don't, they're looking for him to come back in, towards the middle of the series to see how much of an impact that makes. Because if Brogdon's there and Smart isn't, which he expectedly isn't going to be, that's going to be an interesting sort of tilt
1: in, in Milwaukee's flavor, in favor that I, I sort of foresee. Yeah, and you know Middleton absolutely was on fire in that series last year in the first round between these two teams and uh you know especially during the i think the first four games that Marcus Smart was was uh coming back from an injury Middleton just absolutely lit up everyone that was uh, was trying to to guard him on the defensive end and so it, so it'll be interesting to see if Middleton can keep up that level of play against Boston if that's just somehow a really good matchup despite the fact that the Celtics have a bunch of good defenders or if that was a little bit of a fluke and he was just uh, especially hot and you know he hasn't actually shot the ball as well this year as he did last year so that'll be certainly an interesting thing to see and and yes as you mentioned brogdon gives them that extra playmaker i think out there on the floor uh you know obviously uh lopez is mostly just a standstill shooter and and a lot of their guys off the bench you know miritich Ilyasova, sova uh conaton as you mentioned uh those guys are more just catch and shoot guys they're play finishers as opposed to play creators and brogdon you know that uh that playmaking ability is pretty valuable, especially you know when, when a guy like Giannis or a Middleton starts the play, creates some rotations, and uh, Brogdon can a- attack the defense with them coming out and, and trying to contest. Yeah, I, I, mean, I completely agree with everything you said. A lot of what Milwaukee does
2: best, and I think a lot of the genius and you bring Bruton this year, is just, they've had this spread offense where they've had, they had the playmakers in Brogdon, Giannis and Bledsoe, and to finish it off they had just a myriad of shooters.
1: Yeah, so uh, speaking of uh, from from Milwaukee's perspective and, and Coach Bud, the the thing I learned from the regular season matchup is, you know, the the Boston Celtics. One of their team strengths is that they're very comfortable shooting a lot of threes. They don't actually get to the basket or the free throw line very much. And the the Bucks defense around Coach Bud has been focused on stopping the inside, of the paint points, and those easy shots from the free throw line. But the Celtics are are more than comfortable just firing away from downtown. Pretty much the vast majority of players in their rotation, if not all of them, because Baines is stretched out and is shooting threes now, will uh, will fire away. And uh, there was that game on November 1st between these two teams pretty early in the season where Boston made 24 threes, I think took nearly 50 attempts. Uh, So that is going to be something to look out for. Milwaukee all season has conceded a lot of three-point shots and the Celtics are very comfortable firing away.
2: Yeah, that, that game was actually stood out to me as well because of how outstanding Kyrie played in that game, and they really had pretty well-rounded performances from Hayward and Orford, so, especially from Orford, from uh, Hayward's perspective. is actually yes, in reality caught on later in the year, but that was sort of an insight into, okay, if Hayward sort of gets going and adds production in terms of scoring, how will this team look? And I think mean, that was a pretty big deal for them in that game.
1: Now, uh, what what opponent strengths uh, of the Milwaukee Bucks scare you the most, as uh, as uh, Brad Stevens? Yes, yeah, so I, I think the number one thing that can scare any team
2: with uh, Milwaukee is just Giannis's gravity. So Milwaukee's three-point shooting scares me because they're they're all they're not only fifth in percentage, but they're also fifth in attempts. So while they don't have any like elite shooter, you don't look at their roster and say, okay, they have a bunch of elite shooters. They have a lot of they have a lot of guys who can who can shoot at, at least a league at average at a high volume.
0: And so that worries me because if you look at a guy like Brook Lopez, he's just in general been
2: unbelievable this year. And while I think we're all well suited for that matchup without Al Horford switching out to him and uh, you know really running him out the three-point line, their entire team is a threat from outside just because of how much Giannis attracts that help defender. And so I think that's why, although you don't have that elite shooter, you have a ton of guys, which is better than expected percentages just because of that gravity that, Giannis brings so with guys like Miritich, Urzan, and Lopez there's just always a threat for a big man from deep and I'm wondering how that'll play out.
1: Yeah you mentioned earlier how the idea of Giannis taking that leap and how that changes the series compared to last year but yes the, the the fact that Milwaukee spreads the floor so much better this year than they did last year you know I remember like with 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 Jason Kidd and then uh Joe Prunty the uh interim coach there they would often have Chris Middleton who is a who has been a proven really good three-point shooter high 30s even 40 percent some seasons Uh, you know he wouldn't even spot up behind the three-point line a lot of times in last year's uh, for last year's Milwaukee Bucks so the fact that the floor is so much more well spread and, and as you mentioned they've they've added shooting in Lopez and Miritich and Ilyasova. Uh, everybody out there, space is it. it makes it that much tougher on the defense to to really contain Giannis. It, it really is a, a a pick your poison situation.
2: Absolutely, and I think a lot of that just has to be again credit to Mike Budenholzer because I think the one common sentiment from last year's series was okay, this coaching staff can't get the Bucks over the hump. They need something else, and Budenholzer's proven to be that
1: yeah and uh you know not only improving the the offense taking more threes but again the defense becoming the you know the the best team defensively in the NBA in terms of defensive efficiency really really impressive stuff now uh the the biggest imp- opponent strength that that concerns me as the bucks again I I mentioned a little bit earlier the Celtics collective shooting again everybody including the bigs all are comfortable taking threes and and Al Horford has had some series in the past where he absolutely lit teams up from three and with with brooke lopez and and the bucks defense dropping back a lot you know that pick and pop it seemed to be open pretty much at all times whenever the celtics wanted it yeah for sure and and i I think that's what's interesting
2: about the way milwaukee defense and just leaving like leaving three point shooters open I, i wonder in the past what's happened in the playoffs specifically just i don't know if it's happenstance but brad stevens is so good at drawing up guys for open shots they just haven't hit them like I think the most famous case of that was just last year's game seven where they had so many open three-pointers against the Cavs in the Eastern Conference finals but they just couldn't knock anything down Terry Ozier just couldn't hit anything so I wonder how that's going to play as we get into some of the better teams that Boston that Boston will play
1: yeah and he he does a lot of uh he has a lot of play calls where it's it's attacking the paint but that's almost as a decoy you know he he draws up play designs where the ball gets into the paint but only as a purpose to open up a guy for a three-point shot and the Bucks seem to be very susceptible to to those sorts of plays because again their their priority is is preventing those easy shots around the rim but uh, the other thing that, that concerns me as uh, as coach Bud is you know again the the interior size and strength of the Celtics I mentioned the likes of of Horford and Baines and Ogillay. Those are three guys that are about as strong as you can get in the NBA. And Giannis has had troubles in the past, and especially, again, in in last year's first-round series, of being able to bully those guys. And, uh, again, Giannis, you know, for the season, shot 58% from the field. A ton of that is just because he can get wherever he wants to go on the floor, and the Celtics maybe have the best personnel to prevent him from getting to those really easy Uh, scoring opportunity locations.
2: Yeah, and and that's really where the the development comes for me because I I know Giannis is by far the favorite for the MVP, but in reality, it's a lot of teams don't have the personnel that Boston has, so in a playoff series, how is he going to adjust that, right? Because in the playoffs is where you have that constant adjustment, constant focus on one individual player, and so that's why earlier I mentioned the development of what he's learned from last year, and even what he learned throughout the series is so crucial to me. Because if Milwaukee wants to make a deep run, they're going to have to get past this Boston team.
1: Yeah, and again, the, like I mentioned, you're you 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 got to pick your poison against this Bucks team with their shooting with Giannis's ability and, and I think the Celtics will will oftentimes allow Giannis to go one on one and see if he can beat the likes of Augelet and Horford and, and Baines. Uh and, you know, I think it's worth a shot if you're if you're the Celtics to to see if he can uh, if he's going to be effective going one-on-one, because you don't want to just free up open shooters if you don't have to. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Now, in terms of the matchups, uh, as as Brad Stevens and the Celtics, what uh, what particular matchup concerns you uh, when you're facing the uh, the Milwaukee Bucks?
2: Yeah, so I, I think especially earlier on in the series, what's going to happen for our our biggest concern is just the Bucks' guards and wings, namely Chris Middleton and Eric Bledsoe, and how they'll likely get theirs in terms of scoring load. Kyrie's going to have to carry a, a huge load on offense, and he isn't a world-class defender by any means anyway, so when the Marcus Smart News came out, this was the first team I thought of where Boston really struggled to keep up their defensive intensity, in contrast to, as I mentioned previously, Indiana where that wing depth just isn't the same, Boston's just much more talented. One of the things that alleviates the concern for us is that Rogan's status is still up in the air for the series, and so he may, may not be able to hurt us as much, especially earlier on, so if we can take a game earlier on, that is going to be big for us, just because without Marcus Smart, we do have a bunch of solid wing defenders, but just we don't have that Marcus Smart level player, and it's hard to replace that individual athlete. So I wonder just how much that is going to affect us throughout the entire series.
1: Yeah, the uh, you know the I mentioned the the depth of the Milwaukee Bucks, and and you know they've got depth on the wing with the likes of Connaughton and, and Tony Snell, and Sterling Brown is filled in, and he did a decent job in in round one. Of that series against Detroit, uh, but you know you you look at the Celtics and, and they probably have the best wing depth in the entire league. You know even without Smart out there, you know you've got the likes of uh, of, uh, of Marcus Morris off the bench, Gordon Hayward off the bench, uh, and uh, and again Semi Ogelay who could play a factor in this series. So. Uh, that that is even though you know it, I think the the Brogdon I, I expect him to return at some point I think especially in the early going of the series the Celtics will have the edge in terms of uh, the wing depth.
0: Yeah, yeah, I have to
2: agree, and that is one of the strengths that we have, just how many wings we have, especially offensively. That's not a huge concern to me. I think Boston is going to be able to get theirs, even though Milwaukee is the best defensive team just in terms of efficiency in the league. I think. Because of our wing depth, just because of the different scoring and the improvement that Hayward's made throughout late in the season, offensively I'm not very concerned. Just defensively,
1: I'm just a little concerned, just because of that all defensive level Marcus Smart brings to the team. Yeah, and uh, again I mentioned Chris Middleton. You know that I think he would be the guy that Smart would be would be matched up with. So yeah, his play, especially early on in the series, will be uh, I think a good indicator of. Of what team is has, uh, has got the advantage, but uh, as far as uh, as Coach Bud and, and the Bucks, I think the, the the matchup that concerns me is, you know, obviously Al Horford, his ability, as you said, to to defend on the perimeter and, and uh, try to prevent uh, Brooke Lopez from getting off, uh, you know, uncontested three point shots. But then, especially on the offensive end, his pick and pop ability. L- Lopez again likes to drop back, and and not only that, but I think Lopez is only effective. With that drop back scheme, he's not effective uh, switching. He's not effective, uh, you know, hard hedging and and running around out there on the perimeter. So you know, Horford, his ability to pick and pop and knock down shots is is a big concern and something that we're going to have to deal with and and uh, we're going to have to figure out other ways to uh, to uh, to curtail his uh, his outside shooting skill. Uh, but then also, you know, Kyrie Irving, he's a guy that. You know, is is such a good isolation player, and and you saw in that Indiana series when when it is a, a defensive sort of grinded out battle, Kyrie Irving can make the difference. Yeah, absolutely,
2: and I think Kyrie Irving is even underhated. I would say in that aspect because one thing that I think is sort of a cliche and is overused is being battle tested. If there's one guy that you would trust in the playoffs right now, just having hit that shot, having been in a tough series is Kyrie Irving and it, it's sort of interesting because Kyrie's always been on dysfunctional regular season teams that have just turned it on in the playoffs in large part because of LeBron James but just the, that ability to score and break down defenses in isolation when it is a defensive battle is just such a huge skill in the playoffs especially when everything is a half-court battle that I, I think Kyrie Irving is just the guy that's going to make a difference in the series and that's what I that was saying.
1: Yeah, and you know, he's I would say he's on the level of like a Kevin Durant in terms of his consistency and his playoff scoring, you know, going back even to his first finals appearance in 2015, you know, he he uh he played that one game in the finals prior to injuring his knee, but he was great in that game one. I think he scored close to 30 points in 2016, of course, as you mentioned, he hit that uh that huge shot in game 7. Uh he was great in 2017 despite the fact that the Cavs just couldn't stop the Warriors on the other end. Uh, and and yes, you you know you talk about this first round against Indiana. He was absolutely phenomenal. So yeah, he's been very consistent. He's uh, you know he's a very reliable postseason scorer. And and not just that, but he can score on anybody. You know he can score on on smaller guards. He can score on bigger guys. You know the Warriors have thrown guys like Clay Thompson on him in in, in the NBA Finals, and, and he's still able to to get his shot off and and put in points. Uh, so yeah, he he is definitely somebody that uh, is going to concern me as the Milwaukee Bucks. But uh, moving on, let's uh, let's hear how you're going to handle the, uh, the the pick and roll coverage in this series.
2: Yeah, so with Horford being the biggest defensive asset we have. I, I, I want to try a hybrid, especially with Giannis. So one thing I want to do is just try switching everything initially just to see where Giannis is at in, compared, in comparison to last year. And another just option that we have is might even try a hard trap when Giannis is the ball handler initially just to see where the buck shooters are at. Because I mean, we probably won't stick to that too long because of how quickly guys like Erzan and Miritich can get going. But because so much of the buck offense is predicated around popping their big fans out of three post-pick, I'm fine with having a small defender get out to them if that means I can have a chance to see how Al Horford fares on Giannis in a potential switch. At, at the very least, in the beginning of the series.
1: Yeah, that's that's uh, an interesting strategy, especially because you know Lopez is actually a really good post player, but they don't really put him in the post that often. Yeah. You know that that is uh, that could be a, a you know a good counter for Milwaukee if teams switch like that, but uh, they they just haven't really gone to that, and I'm not sure if they would. Uh, but but yeah, that's that's a really good point. You know, you you might as well, especially early on in a, in a series uh, a series where the two teams know each other and and uh, there might be some some tension and uh, some nerves going into that opening game, just to see how guys are shooting the basketball, uh, might be a, a decent strategy, especially a guy like Eric Bledsoe who struggled so mightily in that series last year. Uh, but uh, as far as uh, as the Bucks and and Coach Bud, my my pick and roll strategy, you know, with Lopez out there on the floor, as I said, you've got to do the drop back scheme. I think that's the only thing he's effective at, and that's how they've become the best defense in the NBA. So that's what I'm going to do. the 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 thing with uh, in terms of Horford popping, how we're going to try and deal with that, is we're going to try to uh, leave one of these, uh, you know, one of the weaker shooters out there on the floor and and uh, try to contest that Horford shot and if that means uh, we give up a, an Aaron Baines shot if the Celtics start Aaron Banes uh, we'll we'll do so or you know a, a guy like Marcus Morris who can run hot and cold uh, we'll we'll give up some some shots but yeah just letting Horford f- fire away from three wide open is is probably a losing strategy
2: For sure, and and that's one of the most interesting things that I see, is just what Milwaukee's going to do to defend the pick-and-roll, because are they going to go smaller? Because so many of their big men can shoot, but are just weak defenders and slow-footed, like a Nuresan, like a Nikola Miritich, like a a Brook Lopez. So um, I'm interested to see how they're going to defend that, especially on switches.
1: Yeah, and what what are your thoughts in terms of what the Celtics are going to go to with the starting lineup? Of course, last round they they started Baines against Indiana. Do you think they're going to go back to that, or that you might you think they might go small?
2: I think they actually might go a little bit smaller. I think especially because of Hayward's scoring ability, they're, they're going to test it out the right the hot high, high hand a little bit. Marcus Morris is another guy I can see them sticking to. I I, I I would I don't know about you. I would be surprised if you started Horford and Baines against Giannis. I just don't think that that front court combination is just fast enough laterally or quick enough laterally to keep up with the so I would expect them to go a little bit smaller
1: yeah I, I almost have more concerns about that big lineup against Milwaukee's defense just because again Milwaukee's going to concede some threes and although Baines has improved his jump shot I think Milwaukee is pretty content letting Aaron Baines fire away especially if it's above the break threes uh, so so yeah I agree with you I think the Celtics will probably go small but uh, you know, if it's Morris, uh, I would probably uh, shade more towards denying Horford those open looks and and let Morris fire away and see how he's shooting the basketball but uh but yeah, that'll be interesting the The other thing you know if if uh if the Celtics are really tearing up that drop back coverage and and the the bucks are are just uh surrendering points possession after possession, I think they need to they need to do more switching and and that might even involve. Uh, playing Brook Lopez less minutes and bringing on the likes of uh, of Miratich to play more, Ilya Sova to play more, and also some Giannis at the at the five minutes uh, to to get some switching out there and to prevent just those wide open looks.
2: Yeah, I agree with you, especially if uh, if Boston takes a game from Milwaukee early on. I wouldn't be surprised to see Giannis at the five a lot more, especially if that pick and roll cover is something they're struggling with. Just because, as we mentioned, as we both mentioned. Uh, how those slow-footed centers are going to have ha- have trouble, especially on a switch against Kyrie Irving. I mean, we, we've we seen guys like Draymond Green and Clay Thompson struggle to keep Kyrie on track. Uh, it's going to be hard for them to stay with him. I, I'll be interested to see if Giannis you know, does get put at the five.
1: Yeah, that's the, you know, Bootenholzer. Uh, he doesn't have a great tracker here in the playoffs. Of course, he, he coached those Atlanta teams, that 60-win Atlanta team, and another team that I think won 48 games and uh both years got absolutely destroyed by by the Cavaliers and and to be honest I didn't see them making many adjustments to to get back into those series uh so so it'll be interesting to see you know Bud obviously is a great regular season coach he he maximized this Bucks team and, and got them to 60 wins which is super impressive uh but uh, he's gonna have to he's gonna have a test here going up against a a proven postseason coach and Brad Stevens and a, a really good Celtics team and and there probably will. I, I do expect both teams to get at least a couple of wins in this series, and I expect there are going to have to be some adjustments made, and and it may come down to which coach makes the better adjustments. Yeah, for, for sure. And that's you actually took the, the words right out of my mouth in terms of uh, Budenholzer's playoff success. Uh, just having watched a lot of uh, the Eastman Conference playoff games
2: last year, uh, the last couple of years. Budenholzer's Hawks team has never scared me as an opponent, right? Like. His composure has always been an issue, and he's a great schematic coach, and I think that's why he's able to outscheme a lot of the the, the lower teams in regular season. But I'm, I'm interested to see how that works out in a playoff setting.
1: Now, uh, one of the things I've like to do, and any of you listening, if you've heard any of my previous matchup previews, I like to talk about some of the adjustments the teams might make if they get down o two in the series, uh, and uh, you know some of the out of the box thoughts that uh, they they might come up with. So. Uh, Shamir, as uh, as Brad Stevens, if the Celtics lose both games in Milwaukee to start the series, what are some of the adjustments you make as you head back to Boston?
2: Yeah, so I think it's really how much variation we have in terms of looks that we're showing Giannis. If we get to the point in the series where he keeps saying the same thing, then we've done an awful job. So let's say we're it's a tied series or... We barely win one of the first two home games. I I, I wouldn't panic, necessarily, just specifically in the case of Boston, because I think playing Boston is just different. Even with the coaching flaws of that that staff last year, I still thought Milwaukee would win that first-round series. It's just so hard to win Boston that I wouldn't overreact.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, Boston had... Uh, a terrific home record in in last year's playoffs and I think they won all of their uh, home games up until uh, what was it game seven of the Eastern Conference Finals it was uh, an impressive run on their home floor but but yeah it it wouldn't shock me if Boston goes down 0-2 but uh, it'll be it'll be interesting to see what they might do I mean there's there's guys like you know as you mentioned Hayward that has been playing better as the season has gone along you know he could get more minutes um, and And they 've again got so much depth, both of these teams have so much depth that uh, you can kind of just look at the rotation and say you know oh if uh, if Morris is struggling or if Rogier is struggling, uh, you know we can we can maybe play those guys a little bit less and and, and boost the minutes of some of the guys that are performing well." Yeah, absolutely. And the point I brought up in terms of just showing things differently to Giannis, let's say
2: Boston's pretty conservative within the first two games, which I don't expect. I mean, Brandon Stevens is a smart coach. But let's just say that's something that happens. I think one of the bigger adjustments you can make after game two is just showing them different looks, showing them different coverages, showing them different switches, traps, and see just how that plays with them. Because, again, that, you you want to, as a coach, see how his Giannis changed. What is Giannis seeing differently?
1: How is he reading the defense differently? And so that's definitely something I would make as an adjustment down on too. Yeah, that's a really interesting point. Yeah, I can't imagine he's seen too many traps this season, just given that he doesn't have much of a jumper. Uh, and uh, yeah, it, it, it does test those guys that are setting the screens as well—the roll man or the pop man—to to make plays and uh, you know in those four-on-three situations like Draymond Green does so well for the Warriors whenever teams trap Steph Curry. But yeah, it'd be interesting to test Brooke Lopez and see how he handles those sorts of uh, situations. But yeah, that, that's an interesting thought. Now, uh, as as the Bucks, you know, if, if Milwaukee goes down 0-2 and loses both games at home, it certainly would be panic time. Um, yeah. But uh, the uh, the couple of things that that I would uh, would consider you know I I mentioned this earlier you know if it's if it's a lot of just Boston is getting any sort of three point shot they want you got to consider sitting Lopez and and playing more Miritich and uh, and Ilyasova or and and more Giannis at the 5 I think a, another thing again because of the depth you know if uh if the likes of Connaughton is struggling or if uh you know, um, even one of the, one of the starters, you know, if Bledsoe struggles mightily, uh, at the start of this series and you get Brogdon back, maybe you put, you, uh, you take away a lot of Bledsoe's minutes and give them to Brogdon. Uh, but you can, you know, you can throw out a guy like DJ Wilson or a Tony Snell if, if nobody is making shots, you know, you've got other guys that, that uh, have shown that they can uh, knock it down from, from the three-point line. So certainly there's, there's a lot of options here, but, uh, Offensively, you know, again, you mentioned the the, the change in coverages. Uh, you could, you know, if if they are trapping Giannis, and, and that's been a problem in the first couple of games, one thing you could do is potentially have one of your other playmakers set the screen for Giannis, like a Bledsoe or a Middleton, and have one of those guys that are better with the ball in their hands as the uh, recipient of those passes out of the trap.
2: For sure, I think the best thing is, is whoever gets the ball of the trap can make those plays. Um, I know. I know. That's something we'll be talking about in the Golden State Rocket series as well.
1: Now, uh, what player or players do you feel like are, and it could be on, you know, your own team as the Celtics or on the Bucks, that uh, that you think might be an X factor in this series?
2: Yeah. So for Boston, I think it's Gordon Hayward. If he can keep up this recent uptick and play, I'm sure it'll make just the series that much closer. I mean, if if this is a guy who can regain even a little bit of a semblance of how he looks like in Utah. That's something that we haven't even considered with Boston all year. If, if Gordon Hayward is that guy, and actually that's why I, I might even expect Brad to even start him to begin the series, if Gordon Hayward can bring that element to the series, I, I think it sort of changes how we're talking about these two teams. For, for the Bucks, uh, I, I'm just going to cop out and say shooters. So if if any of the shooters struggle and we don't see the same sort of consistency that we've seen in the last series or throughout the regular season, then that also changes the series in favor of the Celtics.
1: Yeah, so Hayward has has had such an up and down inconsistent year. Yeah, him uh being a little bit more consistent as of late uh, certainly is uh, is promising for Celtics fans, but I actually have three three guys and and the first couple are on my own team for the Bucks and that's the the Bucks backcourt. You know, Bledsoe and Middleton are 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 so interesting going into this series because, again, of how they performed last year. You know, Middleton, again, couldn't have played better. He shot the lights out. He scored in the mid-range. He hit threes. Uh, he isolated and, and scored over anybody that tried to guard him. And Bledsoe just had an absolute nightmare of a series. He got completely outplayed by Terry Rozier. Uh, couldn't uh, do anything. Turned the ball over. Uh, didn't even play that great defensively. And and he's had a real turnaround year on that end of the floor this year, so I think at the very least he'll be better on that on on the defensive end. But those two guys, I think, are going to be uh, you know big indicators of how well the Bucks are doing in this series. And and, and I'm still a uh, you know kind of a believer in Semi Ojeley as a guy that could slow down uh, Giannis. I think the the big question is on the other end of the floor: Can Ojale, you know standing in the corner knock down enough threes to to contribute on offense? But I think defensively, he is a guy that has that size and that athleticism to give Giannis, you know, not completely shut him down, obviously, but to slow him down a little bit.
2: Yeah, especially the girth that he has, that's something that's unique to Semi. So if if there's a physical presence, such as a different look, in terms of what Brad Stevens should be showing him, I definitely agree that's something that he should be showing him. I, I do think that Boston's a little bit of an underdog in this series, just in terms of what the perception is. They're going to have to try things. It, it's not going to be cookie-cutter strategy in terms of what you're trying. And so I, I agree with you in that Shemi could play a pretty big deal with just trying to slow Giannis down.
1: All right, we, uh, we've broken down this series. Uh, let's let's hear your, uh, your series prediction, Shamir.
2: Yep, so I'm going to go Bucks in seven. This is something that I feel just makes sense based off a large sample size of the Bucks being the better team throughout this entire regular season. There's two reasons, though, for why I think Boston can win. So Boston in the preseason, as we all know, was the team on paper before the season started. And I can't help but think it'll all come together. I, I, I just think there's this energy about especially how, how they were able to pull out all the wins against the Pacers. Kyrie especially has had, this, as I mentioned before, this unique career arc of us always being on teams that somehow turn on the playoffs where he's just lit up in the playoffs. And I think... This is a team that gives him that flexibility. It's his first series. It's his second series now on Boston in the playoffs. Another thing is, that, as I had mentioned earlier, is just I'm not sure how confident I am about a Budenholzer led playoff team. I, especially that Hawks team that lost to the Cavs. I mean, when they won 60 games, that was when I really started doubting Budenholzer, especially some of his mannerisms on the sideline in terms of how he keeps himself in terms of composure. He's a great coach schematically. Let's see if this is going to be a series of great development of going up against a great coach of Brad Stevens caliber.
1: Yeah, that uh, I, I was uh, I was really contemplating going Bucks and seven as well. That uh, uh, I was kind of going fifty fifty, but I ended up finally deciding I'm going Celtics and six. So um, I I love a lot of the points that you made. Uh, the Celtics were definitely the team at the beginning of the season that everyone thought were the clear favorites, and you know inconsistent play by a lot of their rotation guys. Uh, you know, kind of, uh, and and some chemistry issues kind of kind of hurt them. But uh, you know, the the smart injury, albeit you know, it's uh, it, it could be big in terms of them being able to defend Middleton. I think it's actually going to help them on the offensive end of the floor. Smart, despite improving his jump shot this season, uh, you know, I, I think uh, guys like uh, Jalen Brown and Hayward are just better offensive players at this stage. Uh, so so I think Boston's going to be pretty good on the offensive end of the floor. I think going back to Milwaukee's strengths defensively of of you know protecting the rim and, and preventing teams from getting to the free throw line. The Celtics don't get to the free throw line and they don't get to the rim. They are very comfortable taking threes. We saw it in the regular season. They knocked down a bunch of threes. That pick and pop with Kyrie and Horvard was a problem. Uh, you know, I, I, I do kind of uh, hesitate to pick the Celtics because I think if if Milwaukee is willing to go to a lot of minutes with Giannis at the five and Miritich at the four, that, that might give the Celtics a lot of issues, and that would be a really dangerous offensive lineup. But I, I just, uh, you know, I, I'm concerned that Budenholzer might not be comfortable enough going to that, might just stick to his guns, even if it means, uh, you know, his team has less of a chance of, uh, of winning because of it. So I've got Celtics yeah. in six, but I think it's going to be a really competitive series. Okay, I, for, without a doubt, I, I think it's going to be a competitive series, regardless. All right, so uh, let's move on to the other series we're going to break down, and that is the uh, the Golden State Warriors versus the Houston Rockets. Absolutely one of the, the best series of the decade that happened last year uh, in the Western Conference Finals with the Warriors pulling it out in seven games and, and winning game seven in Houston. Uh, there was, of course, some some notable injuries going on. I think Iguadala hurt himself in Game Two for the Warriors and didn't come back in that series. And also for Houston, you know, you had uh, Chris Paul go down uh, in uh, at the end of uh, of Game Five and wasn't able to play in those crucial Game Six and Seven. Shamir, you're going to act as uh, as Mike D'Antoni in the Houston Rockets. I'm going to be Steve Kerr in the Golden State Warriors. Uh, and, and as I mentioned at the beginning of the program, neither of these teams have have technically gotten out of their first round series yet, because again, we're recording this on a on a Tuesday night. Uh, but uh, it, it appears that both both teams are up three one. It appears both are going to go through. So, uh, how have you felt about uh, the the Houston Rockets' performance uh, in the four games against Utah? Yes,
2: yeah, so I, I feel pretty positive going into the playoffs. There's always obviously that big future assumption that the uh, Rockets are going to face the Warriors. One of the prevailing sentiments I felt going into the playoffs, especially for the general basketball community, is that it's generally better to play the Warriors in round two opposed to round three because you'll have fresher legs for guys who have historically, historically broken down late in the playoffs like a Chris Paul, like a James Harden. I will say this. I was very confident that we get a close Warriors-Rockets series after game three of the Utah series just because of how well Houston stuck in the game, even with Harden playing historically bad. But I sort of swung the other way after watching uh, last night's game for just because it was a repeat below average Harden game. Of course, he picked up his level play in the second half, but he just looked sort of flustered in the first half, and I started to get flashbacks of San Antonio in 2017. So if Harden even has one game, like what he's played like in in Utah over the past two games, I would seriously doubt the Rockets can win the series, and that's something that troubles me There's just no way we can be competitive
1: if James plays that way yeah the 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 slight adjustments that the that the Jazz have made have been really interesting you know in game one uh they, they started by you know playing on his uh on his left hand side and giving him that that alleyway driving to his right and and Harden just absolutely picked them apart you know either getting to the hoop and and uh throwing the lob to uh to Capella when Gobert came up to him or if Gobert came to contest the the, the Harden shot and and a uh, a weak side defender came in to stop the lob, you know Harden just found the shooter in the corner in PJ Tucker. Uh, he just absolutely picked them apart. Utah didn't seem to have any answers. But uh, as the series have gone on, they've made some slight tweaks to it. I think one of the things they've done is they've uh, they've brought in the the defenders uh, guarding the the shooters on the wing like an Eric Gordon. And 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 tried to to show show Harden bodies as uh, he's going to try to to drive in, and it, it opens up a pass for straight to Gordon for for a three. But I think they're willing to live with that because they're able to still get out and contest it. Uh, but uh, yeah, it, it has flustered Harden. And of course, Harden I think has shot really really poorly from the floater range against Gobert. But you know. Frankly, the the Warriors don't have anyone close to Gobert in terms of as as a rim protector and and really challenging those types of shots. You know, Draymond Green is is a decent rim protector, but he's not anywhere near that level. So you know, frankly, I, I'm not as concerned about uh, about Harden struggles and, and 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 in part because he he also struggled in that series against Golden State last year, and yet they still nearly won.
2: That's that's what's really interesting to me because. I think he struggled last year, but I think through the first four or five games, Chris Paul was just really amazing. I mean, in that game, 5 it was just so sad to see him go down because of how incredible he played. That was one of the best Chris Paul series I would seen in his career, just because of how well he had controlled the game like defensively or offensively. He was hitting shots that were just... Uh, there was that memorable shot that he had against that period that I'm always going to remember to this day. So it was sad to see him go down. And well, the reason I bring that up is because I don't know if Chris Paul can have a repeat performance of what he did last year, and so if Harden has to carry a, a larger load, I'm worried that he's going to get uh, worn out, especially because those two have both had a history of, of having that happen to them. But obviously, it's better that they're facing Golden State now compared to if they were ha- having to face them later on.
1: Yeah, and uh, you know, yeah, the the Chris Paul certainly has has had arguably his worst season this year uh, but he has looked better since the all-star break his defense i think mainly has has gotten back to pretty close to his his prime levels and and that's the reason why i'm not really that concerned about the rockets at least competing in this series is because their defense has looked so solid against utah and really you know the the one game utah won was because, you know, I think Jay Crowder was 5-for-5 five five in the first quarter with three threes. Ricky yeah. Rubio went for double digits. And then Donovan Mitchell just had one of those quarters where he just catches fire and doesn't miss. Uh, so that that felt like more of an outlier in terms of, of Utah just knocking down shots they, they normally don't hit. Uh, but the Rockets' defense has looked really solid so far in the playoffs. Oh, The, the Rockets' defense has looked so great, and it's crazy to me
2: given how much roster fluctuation they've had, they've been managed to look as good. That's one of the most encouraging signs to me is if, if their defense can stay at that level and they can really prevent Golden State from getting into some of the sets and Kevin Durant has to set off a long isolation, no shots, that is something that's really encouraging because coming into the season, I, I, I'm not sure about you, but I, I just wasn't sure if they were going to be able to get that same defensive intensity and even early on, it looked pretty bleak, but they've obviously picked up their defensive intensity recently.
1: Yeah, I mentioned on my uh, on the episode when I had uh, Darius Scott on prior to the first round that I actually was, was pretty confident the Rockets defense was going to be able to get close to that level because, again, I think at the start of the season, you know, not only did they have Carmelo Anthony on the defensive end yeah. of the floor, Chris Paul was hurt for a good chunk of the start of the season, and their defensive guru, Jeff Bizdelic, was not around. So I thought the fact that they got rid of Anthony, Chris Paul was back, and Bizdelic was back to... To kind of orchestrate and, and organize the defense. Uh, I think those factors uh, led them to, to be pretty good again, and, and they still have a lot of those guys, like Harden, like Paul, like Eric Gordon, that can switch and, and hold up on the inside against bigger guys because they're just so damn strong.
2: Yeah, and, and uh, it's encouraging because I think we all want to see is someone challenge Golden State in some capacity, and just, I don't know about you, but I think that this Houston team is the best shot that we'll see of getting a close series from Golden State, at least out west, before the final start. So I'm interested, I'm interested to see how this new new constructed roster really fares against Golden State.
1: I wanted to go on a bit of a, a tangent here just to talk about Donovan Mitchell briefly. Um, you know, he he obviously had that incredible fourth quarter. Uh, where uh, he he carried Utah and, and knocked down a bunch of threes, had a had an amazing alley oop dunk, had a spin move into the paint and, and finished a mid ranger. Uh he, he has these moments, you know, even during the regular season where he he goes for three quarters, he's got about six points and then he scores twenty in the fourth and, and carries Utah to a win. But uh, I question uh, you know Donovan Mitchell's getting a ton of praise Kyle Korver you know had the comment saying like he, I've never seen a, a young a young player that's this poised and and uh you know this much of a leader and a lot of people have talked about how how great Mitchell is but frankly you know he's played poorly in 3 of the 4 games and I would almost say he's played poorly in 15 of the 16 quarters of the series uh you know he's he's so inconsistent and he's so streaky you know, to win a playoff series, you've got to win four times, and that requires your best players playing well, you know, for the vast majority of the games they play in. And Mitchell has just been way too inconsistent for me.
2: Yeah, I actually have to agree. That yesterday, there was a point in the game where, where, especially in the fourth quarter when Mitchell just got unbelievably hot, there was like a there was a sideline report where it was like, oh, uh, Mitchell learned, he figured out the Rockets' defense late last year in Game 5. I don't know if you heard this section of yesterday's broadcast. Whereas like, oh, Mitchell really figured out the the, the Rockets' uh, defensive scheme against him last year in Game Five, but he got injured, and so he he really feels like he has the blueprint to beat him. But I really up until that yesterday's game, he'd been awful, and he was, and that, that's something that I haven't understood is he has had a lot of praise, but his shot selection is just so poor, and he's such a streaky player that, and I I'm a, I'm actually a pretty big fan of Donald Mitchell, but I was interested to see his, get, him get as much praise as he did.
1: Yeah, and and I like him too. I just think he, uh, you know, and and young players do struggle with with consistency and, and 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 those sorts of things. And I think he'll get better with that. But uh, certainly, thus far his uh, his playoff career, yeah he he had a uh, he had a one or two pretty great games in that Oklahoma City series and he had you know one or two games in that Houston Rockets series last year that was good but for the most part I think he's been below average for the vast majority of the games but but uh, sorry to I I felt like I needed to go on that little tangent but uh, moving back to uh, to the 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 Warriors Rockets thoughts and and I wanted to talk about uh, as uh, as Steve Kerr and the Warriors what I thought about my team's performance through four games against the Clippers I'm actually pretty pleased. Uh, you know, the, the likes of Durant, Curry, Draymond Green, Clay Thompson, and Iguodala, you know, my, my five main guys have all looked pretty good. Um, you know, despite the fact that DeMarcus Cousins, uh, that's a really sad story, and I feel bad for him. As an individual, I think that uh, isn't as big of a deal for the Warriors. They've got uh, plenty of depth at center with the likes of, of Jordan Bell, Looney, and Bogut, uh, and, and, you know, Cousins took a, took a lot of shots away from guys that are more efficient on that end of the floor. Uh, And and that one loss that the Warriors had, that, that, that historic comeback, the Clippers coming back from 31 down. I think a lot of that could just be chalked up to, to Steph Curry picking up his fourth foul coming out of the ball game. Uh, And, you know, obviously when you get up 31, a lot of teams lose the focus, lose the intensity for a little bit. And I, and I think the Clippers just played great in that second half of that ball game. So, you know, Albeit, you know, some of these games have been a little bit closer than you would you would hope for as a Warriors fan. Uh, I'm relatively pleased with how they played in this first round.
2: Yeah, I, I, I've been pretty satisfied with how they played as well. I mean, obviously, they, that that comeback, especially was just wild. It was incredible, capped off by the the Sham at three to to win the game. I, I just I, I'm not too worried about that loss. It was surprising to me that the Clippers even got a game, but even. Beyond that game alone, and I, I'm pretty confident the Warriors are going to be fine.
1: Now, uh, speaking to the, the regular season matchups between these two, we had a, a couple of instant classics during the, the regular season. What, uh, what did you learn as uh, D'Antoni and the Rockets about the Warriors in those regular season ties?
2: Yes, yeah, so I, I think you're referring to that uh, the second game where Harden just blew up for forty-four points and just, just absolutely took over yes. a, a nail biter. One of the most entertaining games of this entire uh, year. The only problem I had when looking back at these games was just how much everything has changed. You look at the uh, the first game where it was it was just throw the game away. It was a blowout. Steph didn't play and K didn't really have much of an impact on that particular game. Then you look at the second game, the Rockets actually won without Chris Paul or Eric Corden playing, and they still have guys like James Ennis getting minutes. So that, that was interesting to me. Then the game three, there was no Harden. Game four, there was no KD. So it was just, I, I was it was actually a frustrating experience for me just as a fan of looking at what we're going to get in the playoffs. We just never got these teams at full strength against each other. But regardless, we got some extremely, extremely entertaining games.
1: Yeah, and you mentioned that Game Three with no Harden, but Chris Paul was absolutely sensational. He played like at the level that he did in last year's Western Conference Final. Uh, and then, and then Game Four, you had DeMarcus Cousins play brilliantly and and be a key reason why the Warriors were able to to uh, to split the season series. Uh, so, so you're right. It, it is a little bit frustrating that you uh, you didn't get really any um, any good looks in terms of how these teams might match up for this season. And I felt the same way. Uh, It was unfortunate when I was trying to uh, prepare for that Portland uh, Thunder series that, uh, you know, Nurkic played in every game, and after his uh, unfortunate injury, it it felt like a lot of those games were kind of meaningless to look back on.
2: Yeah, it's incredible how much one injury can just shift the entire focus of how you're really preparing to analyze these games, but it's and it just shifts. Uh, fortunately for us, most of the key players in the series are going to be in the actual game for the series, so that's that's always good
1: to hear. Yeah, and uh, the the one thing I learned as as Steve Kerr is, you know, even when the the Rockets may have been struggling a bit defensively, they still when they, they still played up against the Warriors and, and played pretty good defensively. Uh, I mentioned their ability to switch, um, you know, with the likes of Gordon, Paul, and Harden, and, and handle themselves with their lower body strength uh that that's a problem and and they're also really good at leaving uh you know the the warriors non-shooters and and mucking things up in the paint uh so as far as uh what the warriors are going to have to do they they're certainly going to have to execute well offensively they're going to have to um you know s- to throw some wrinkles into their uh, off-ball action that maybe Houston isn't prepared for uh, but and and also the Warriors, I think one of the key reasons that a lot of people don't look at uh, in terms of how they were able to get through that playoff series last year is the Warriors played incredibly well defensively to slow down Houston.
2: Yeah, man, absolutely, and, and I think one, one of the things that be taken away is you mentioned that Game Three where they didn't have Harden, but Chris Paul just took over. I, I, I that's pretty really encouraging for Houston, as yeah, you because know, I'm, I'm a little skeptical of that. They'll be able to, like Chris Paul, especially will be able to repeat his performance from last year. But that's kind sort of encouragement. Maybe you know he can reach that level, and the Rockets can make it a more competitive series than I can than I've previously imagined.
1: Yeah, and you know a lot of people make fun of the NBA and say that regular season games don't matter, and and people don't play defense. But a lot of those matchups, despite the fact that there were missing pieces for both teams at various times, I think they were played at a playoff intensity. Of course, and there's there's such, for both team
2: implications of, you know, a lot, a lot of people saying, oh, that Warriors series doesn't count for the Warriors because Chris Paul is out, as, as well as for the Rockets, that embarrassment of missing that make consecutive threes in that Game 7, so there's obviously going to be a little bit of an edge heading into the series, which you love to see in a playoff game.
1: Now, uh, what what opponent's strengths scare you the most as uh, as Mike D'Antoni when you're uh, breaking down the film of, of the uh, the Golden State Warriors?
2: Yeah, so you have to be extremely disciplined defending their off-ball actions. I mean, earlier on, and even early on in this Steve Kerr era, with the fin- in the finals against the Cavs, it wasn't uncommon to see a Cavs defender just completely lost because of that lack of discipline that those Cavs defensive teams had. Obviously, Houston's a more uh, disciplined team, but just defending those off-ball actions that the Warriors are so famous for, the split cuts, it's going to be huge because they use more off-ball action than any other league against their bread and butter. They, they led the league on a points-per-possession basis um, just off of their off-ball uh, action. And there's really no way of stopping their pick-and-roll outside of just showing them different looks. You're honestly, are, at a certain point, just hoping that KD stops the flow of the offense and take contested twos, similar to how that disrupted their flow last year during the Western Conference Finals. He's arguably the best score we've ever seen, so it's honestly troubling as a coach to have to rely on that strategy. But it's the best bet you have given this juggernaut that is Golden State, and so it'll be interesting to see how the guys respond.
1: Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. You know, one of the one of the biggest concerns I have as uh, as Steve Kerr defending the Rockets is again they're you know their their best two players in, in Harden and Paul are are not only great scorers but they're also such amazing passers that. That any sort of mistake you might make defensively, they're going to make you pay for it, whether that's getting a guy open for three or, or getting an open layup for somebody. So uh, it, it is it is a series that not only is going to be physically exhausting for both teams, but extremely mentally exhausting as well.
2: I'm absolutely, I agree. Just, just looking at our guys, Harden, TP3, are just such great passers. We... That is one of the things we rely on so heavily, and I think that's something that Utah in the hard way, given that peculiar strategy that they had to start off the first two games. Is that Harden can pick a part of defense? He's, he's reaching, if not has already reached that LeBron level of being able to pick up an, a part of defense, not only with the scoring, but with his passing ability.
1: Now, what matchups particularly concern you when it comes to uh, dealing with Golden State? Yeah, so I, I, I've, I've been skeptical, as you can tell, about Chris Paul's
2: ability to defend. And you're right, he has been able to, at times, pick up that play. But the matchup that concerns me is Chris Paul versus Devin Curry. I, I, I'm not sure if they're going to be matched up directly, but that's something that I personally don't want to say. Because, it, I mean, for me, it's been remarkable how effective Chris Paul has been post all these like, injuries that he's had. But I just don't think he'll be quite as effective as last year's Western Conference Finals. I think he's... he's He would have to do too much on both ends, and he did last year. But it was, in my opinion, some of the most incredible basketball that we've seen him play. I just don't see him having that exact level of impact. And there's an even bigger concern for me if Harden looks as poorly as he did last year. Something that we've already touched upon is, will Chris Paul have to carry that much of a bigger load?
1: Well, yeah, I think Harden's three-point shooting, especially his step-back three, you know, he's shown in the regular season, and, and why teams like Utah and and, uh, and Milwaukee have gone to the strategy of, of literally playing on the side of Harden and giving him that lane, it's because they, they don't want to give up those step-back threes. But, uh, you know, Harden in, in previous postseason, especially last year against the Warriors, did not knock down those shots. I think he shot 24% from three. So certainly, you know, he's... Uh, uh, I, I agree with you that Houston might not be quite at the same level defensively. I think they can get close, but they, they certainly, especially given that they're the road team in this series, they're going to have to win one or maybe two road games. They're going to have to get better offensive production, and, and that's not only going to be James Harden shooting better, but also the role players. Of course, you know Ariza is the big absence from last year's Rockets team, but but I think he shot twenty percent from three in that series. So if Houston can get a guy like an Austin Rivers or a Daniel House, uh, you know, to to knock down some some threes and and uh you know, make the Warriors question whether they should should clog the paint as much, I think that's gonna be pretty important.
2: Yeah, I agree with you, especially the points you made with a reason Even Luka Mahamuta, he he was hurt, he wasn't playing in the have. That's why I thought it was although I, I didn't like the the <laughs> The decision to not retain Ariza and offer him that contract, I sort of understood it in terms of just, or not understood it. I can sort of see how against Golden State they might not feel that much of a difference because he just wasn't that big of an impact offensively. He just couldn't hit anything last year.
1: Yeah, I mean certainly he was he was pretty good defensively on on Durant, but they're they're probably <laughs> hoping that a guy like Daniel House can, uh, with his size, can. Can uh, can do that a little bit, and and I think uh, you, we saw in the regular season matchups that they put Tucker a little bit more on Durant than they did last year. So Tucker uh, is is a pretty pretty stout defender in his own right. But as as far as us me being Steve Kerr and, and the Warriors, a couple of the matchups that concern me, obviously Harden. I, I mentioned that step back three. Uh, you know, if he starts to heat up on those shots, like those shots are pretty much unguardable unless you do something crazy like stand on his side. So, uh, you know, the Warriors have traditionally played him straight up. You know, they haven't shielded him to go one direction or another. They've played him pretty much straight up. And, uh, you know, if he starts knocking down those step-back threes, you you may have to reevaluate that.
2: Yeah, so one of the things is uh, that even in the past when James Harden in the uh, first round series he had a few years ago, I I believe it was against uh, when they still had Dwight Howard, they've always sort of had James Harden's number that way. So I wonder if this is a series you can finally break through, especially with the scoring success he had throughout that regular season.
1: Yeah, he's, uh, you know, we're, we're going to talk about X-Factors here in a little bit, but he's certainly a guy that I think, uh, despite the fact that he's one of the best players in the series, he is an X-Factor because of how uh, varied his performances have been in the postseason. Uh, but uh, the, the other the other matchup that concerns me, uh, as uh, as Steve Kerr is, you know, the Warriors have traditionally sat both Steph and uh, KD at the same time at the start of the second and fourth quarters. And, you know, with the way Houston staggers their stars in, in CP3 and Harden, uh, there will be lineups where, you know, the Warriors will have, uh, you know, lineups without their two best players and the, and the Rockets will have uh, CP3 out there with bench units. And, and those matchups are going to be pretty important and, and something I'm a little bit concerned about.
2: Yeah, I'm wondering to see how Steve Kerr staggers his players, just to see how he, how those
1: Warriors lineups fare against Chris Paul and plus Ben lineups. So, uh, how would you handle the uh, the the pick and roll coverage in this series as uh, as the Houston Rockets?
2: Yeah, so I think the biggest thing for any coach is that you're very scared in the, in the general against the Warriors. I, I would try trapping them and make sure that their rotations are solid on the back line of the defense. I'd really try to make guys like Looney or when they play Bogut if he sees any time in the series, try to beat us. If Draymond Green is popping out, I'm obviously letting him take that all day. The Steph and Katie combo is just unstoppable. I'd I try switching that as best as possible, but... With the Warriors, they're actually scariest when the ball handler is cooking in pick and rolls. I would try to make the roll man beat me by trapping the ball handler. Uh, Per NBA.com, the the Warriors are last in the league with uh, 0.93 points per game, and only Philly utilized the roll man less in terms of frequency. And they similarly didn't really even utilize the ball handler as much on pick and rolls throughout the regular season, but that's where they had their most success. And with the ball handler in terms of productivity, that's where they were more productive. They were the most productive team in the NBA in terms of points per possession off the ball handler and pick in pick those situations, so that's why I try to trap a guy like Steph, like a guy like Draymond, and or a guy like Kevin Durant. I'm sorry. Try to make guys like Looney or Draymond make a play. Draymond's obviously a fantastic playmaker, but try to try to have him make a shot. Right? He's struggled his three point shot has just fallen off precipitously over the past few years. Try to make Draymond Green make a shot.
1: Yeah, and 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 even more than that, like if if Draymond catches it at the free throw line with a four on three. Uh, you know, make him drive and and just contest him at the rim. You know, I, I think the the Cavs in 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 2015 really did a good job of that when they had Timothy Boscoff at center, uh, just uh, making Draymond finish through contact at the rim. And, and Draymond has had a, a really poor season this year, not only shooting the three ball, but but also he he's missed a lot of uh, of easy shots at the rim.
2: Yeah, and that's something that's interesting to me is, is, is as well as as Draymond getting of age, how much that has an impact. He's never been an overly explosive player, so I'd never even assume that this would be that big of a, a deal for him. But his three-point shot has just gone off a cliff, and I think that's something that the Rockets are, hey, if Draymond Green's making three-pointer, he deserves a win, because I, I don't think that's something that the Warriors can rely on.
1: Yeah, and uh, I liked your point you made about uh, the the Steph KD pick and roll because it, it is unstoppable, and and Kerr has you know not relied on the pick and roll very much at all in his tenure with Golden State. He likes the off ball movement, and uh, that that is a good way to make sure that the offense doesn't get bogged down. But I certainly would think with Houston's ability to switch and and take away a lot of those off ball actions, they're going to have to at some point rely on on some of those pick and rolls, and and I think that can be an effective counter. To, to what Houston throws at them. But uh the uh the, the pick and roll route, uh um, strategy for me as uh, as the Warriors against the Rockets, obviously there's going to be a lot of switching. Uh you know, even with the centers, I think there's going to be less Bogut in this series. Uh, I would lean more towards the likes of Jordan Bell and Kevon Looney uh and uh, and switching everything, making things difficult and and taking away uh, you know, the the Rockets, especially with Paul and Harden and their ability to pass the basketball, are so good at, at at handling a conventional defense. Again, we saw that with Harden in the first couple of games of that Jazz series. So as the Warriors, with our you know personnel, we're, we're really good as a switching team. We've got a lot of like-sized athletic players. So we're going to do a lot of switching. Uh, you know, and and I think one of the things that uh, one of the t- situations where we might not switch is you know with a guy like Austin Rivers, I think you could potentially go under the screen on him and uh, make him prove he can beat you from beyond the, the three point line off the dribble.
2: Yeah, I, I agree with that assessment as well. I think you want to look at even a guy like Austin Rivers can get flustered at times with uh, defensive pressure, seeing him put on the ground, even really trying to see he shot it really well last series, but even seeing how well the shot looks.
1: Yeah. Um, so, what what players do you imagine might be an X factor in this series?
2: Yeah. So for for us, really for Houston, I think they'll need a guy like Daniel House to like get crazy hot, and I think that could swing the series if he gets on a roll from three, especially if he's doing a good job being a presence on Kevin Durant. As far as Golden State, I think Kevin Looney could be a really good guy. Them. Because if he can make plays on the roll, if if Houston starts trapping Steph, if they start trapping Kevin Durant, that is going to be huge. And he's also already such a great switchable defender. If he can switch on to a guy like Kevin, Durant, to a guy like James Harden, like he did last year, that'll be a huge asset for Golden State.
1: Yeah, Kavon Looney and uh, you know I think Jordan Bell are a couple of guys that. I think Bell had uh, a couple of really great moments uh, in that series. So yeah, those those players are really important. Their ability to switch, their ability to, to rebound uh and uh you know not be a super big liability on the offensive end of the floor is is going to be pretty crucial. Uh, I mentioned earlier, I think Harden despite again that he's one of the best players in this series. I think he's an X factor. You know, if if he shoots the ball well from downtown, especially on those step backs, it's going to make things really difficult for that Warriors defense. And I think uh, you know. You mentioned Daniel House of the Rockets. I'm just going to say the X factor is the entire Houston bench. You know, with uh, with the absence of Trevor Ariza, you know, they've they've moved Eric Gordon into the starting lineup, uh, which you know helps the starting unit, but also hurts that that bench unit. They've got guys that that uh, have been pretty inconsistent, but have had their moments. You know, in Gerald Green, who who played reasonably well last year uh, in this matchup. Uh, Daniel House, as you said, Kenneth Freed, Iman Shumpert. Uh, they're going to need at least one, if not a couple of those guys, to to really play well and hold their own. Yeah, I completely agree. Especially with some of the newer guys that they've gotten
2: through a of season acquisition. i looking forward to see how, how they end up performing.
1: All right. So now, uh, if uh, if you as the Rockets lose the first two in Oracle, what uh, what are some of the adjustments you might make heading back to Houston?
2: So this obviously depends, and for the purposes of assuming that this is hopefully the closer series, at least in terms of how close the games are, I'm going to assume that the Rockets' offense won't be the problem that they'll have more difficulty on the defensive end. They've obviously improved drastically into the season and even during the Utah series on that defensive side of the ball. I think as the series goes on, they'll have to spend more energy being aggressive trapping the PRs. so if they are conservative, I can see them switching that up. I'll be interested to see how guys like Green and Schump are performing early on. I think Freed is a good bet to get meant, regardless, just because he can spell Capella. I'll be interested to see how guys like Green are threatening early on in the series, if either Schump or Hal struggle mightily to shoot the ball, that could be a shortened rotation similar to what we saw last year towards the end of the series, even though that was largely due to necessity because of Chris Paul being injured.
1: Yeah, those are all uh those are all really interesting points as far as uh as far as Golden State and some of my adjustments, you know, if, if the Warriors get down 0-2 and lose their first two home games uh i think the uh the city of oakland would uh would all have a heart attack but uh ah, yeah. <laughs> the uh the couple things that i would i would do uh, obviously i mentioned uh, potentially removing Mo- bogut and, and even taking more minutes away from him if he's playing at all and, and not really contributing again i think his inability to switch would be a problem uh, against the rockets more Jordan Bell, more Kevon Looney, and and more potentially Draymond Green at the five, and those death lineups, uh, you know, go out with your with your best lineups on the floor, your best five guys out there, uh, and then you know if if uh, if the Warriors need a little bit more shooting, you could you can try to get uh, Quinn Cook in there for a few more minutes. I think they should probably be best to play him in the non James Harden minutes uh, because he, Quinn Cook can be a defensive liability at times. Uh, but but then the other thing is you know. Make uh, make some of their uh, weaker shooters like a uh, you know an Austin Rivers, like a uh, you know a Daniel House, even though he shot the ball reasonably well, but he's not necessarily playoff proven. Make those guys beat you from downtown, uh, and and you know with uh, with Kenneth Freed, I think he can be a little bit of a, a defensive minus at times as well. So when he's out on the floor, really uh, go and uh, attack him.
0: Yeah,
2: I, I agree with what you said, especially in regards to um, the different players on Houston's bench beating Warriors and Daniel House in particular. Uh, he shot the ball pretty poorly in the last series, and it, it was on a pretty high volume too. I wanted to see if he has that much of a green light for D'Antoni, that short in rotation.
1: Yeah, so uh, let's let's hear your uh, let's hear your series prediction for this one. Of course, we had an, an epic series last year. Do you imagine this one's going to be close as well?
2: I, I, I think it'll be close. I don't believe it'll be as close as it was last year. So, for example, I'm going to go with the Warriors in six. Heading into the playoffs, I actually thought it, I was actually even more pessimistic about the Rockets odds. I thought it would be Warriors in five. And I'm still a little worried that we'll get the, the, that short-length series because generally these series where the home team wins go for five or seven games. I do respect Houston's offensive improvement enough to the point where I'll give them two games instead of one. But I just cannot emphasize. Uh, how badly they need Harden to just be better than he has in the past with Golden State. I mean, that's just my biggest worry, that there's enough of a sample size now where I think we can just say Harden just doesn't fare well enough against Golden State.
1: Yeah, so I agree with a lot of those points. I am worried about Harden's performance as well, although, again, I, I, I question, although he was he was much better defensively in that series than I think a lot of people give him credit for, uh, and, and for sure. that may that might be a part of the reason why he struggled offensively is because he was putting so much effort in on the defensive end uh, that uh, he didn't quite have the legs for those jumpers. But, you know, you can't do much worse than shooting 24% from downtown for the series like he did last year. So I expect Harden to be a little bit better. Uh, I still expect him to have some struggles because the Warriors do have a bunch of, of uh, athletic guys with length that can uh, that can cause him difficulty. But I think he will be a little bit better. I think the Rockets' defense is still going to be able to to, uh, to slow down the Warriors' uh, high-powered attack. I've got Golden State winning this in seven. I think it's going to be a really competitive series. But uh, I do think that home court advantage is going to pay off for the Warriors in game seven. And I think they're just going to be able to, you know, as as there were moments last year, uh, you know, certain quarters where guys like Steph Curry and Kevin Durant and Klay and Thompson get freed up and uh, go on some runs. To, to put up at just enough points. But I think it's going to be another grinded-out, really tough battle between two teams that uh, are growing into and uh, in, in developing quite a nice rivalry here.
2: Yeah, hopefully it continues on for years to come because it's so exciting. And hopefully with some more continuity for Houston, it'll even be better next year.
1: Now, uh, we'll we'll quickly talk about the uh, the one other series that uh, that we've basically got set here, and that is the, uh, the, the Toronto Raptors versus the Philadelphia 76ers. What are some of your uh, initial thoughts thinking about that matchup? Yeah,
2: so just a few thoughts that I had. Uh, my head says Toronto, right? I, I think that there's some to Milwaukee, in which they've had that track record of track
0: record of being pretty re- relatively consistent throughout the year. But the talent on Philadelphia is just so tantalizing that I can't count them out just quite
2: yet. So they obviously haven't figured everything out yet because of the injuries late in the season to Jimmy and Embiid towards the end of that regular season and. It's kind of sad to see because I'm not quite sure that Philly is going to be able to keep Tobias and Jimmy passes here. My hope is that we can see a click, but seeing the way that Pascal is playing for Toronto right now, it's making it tough for me to see Philly winning this. I think one huge positive from a Philly perspective is that a Kyle Lowry dud is seemingly always around the corner. Obviously, he yeah, had that scoreless game one in the Orlando Magic series. Off of talent alone, I'll say Philly forces us to seven, but I'm not all that confident about it. I think it could be a much shorter series, especially because Toronto can throw a ton of different looks at a beat, and I think their coaching staff is smart enough to scheme out Simmons, similar to how the Nets and Celtics have done in past playoff series.
1: Yeah. So just to be just to be clear, you've got Raptors winning in seven. Yeah, Sorry, uh, if
2: I uh, misphrase
1: that. Okay. So uh, yeah, I I have Raptors in five. I I don't think it's going to be quite as as competitive, despite the fact that I agree with you that that Philly does have. Perhaps does have the talent advantage, although I think that's close. Um, I, I think uh, you, you mentioned a lot of the points that I was going to bring up. The, the Ben Simmons. I think uh, Toronto, with their athleticism, with their, I think they're a well-coached team now with Nick Nurse. Uh, I think Brooklyn has uh, has done a poor job in this series after Game One of. Uh, of not getting back in transition and showing Ben Simmons multiple bodies I think you've you've got to get a couple of guys in the paint and if you can take away those easy transition opportunities for him I think he's a very limited half court player when it comes to the to the playoffs so uh yeah it's I think Toronto's going to be able to take away Ben Simmons pretty uh, pretty effectively and and Toronto doesn't have any weak links defensively uh, that uh, that Philly can really attack. I think one of the real interesting things about the Philly starting five is that all five guys are scorers. But uh, Toronto doesn't have anybody that uh, you would look at and say, okay, if uh, if this guy attacks this guy on the block, or if this guy runs this guy off of screens, it's going to be a big advantage. Uh, I think Toronto has the defense to to really slow Philadelphia down, and, and that also includes the likes of Marcus Saul who completely shut down Nick Vucevic in the Orlando series, I think he's going to be able to do a reasonably good job of slowing down Philly's best source of offense, which is uh, Embiid on the block.
2: Yeah, that's one of the biggest uh, sources of interest to me is because Al Horford and Embiid had such great success against Embiid last year. I'm wondering to see if uh, Ibaka, Gasol, and even Pascal, to an extent, are going to have, you know, any type of success against NBA. It's been pretty successful, but he's obviously had just a huge issue with turnovers. So it'll be interesting to see if that continues.
1: Well, yeah, and, and the other thing that I think is in is in Toronto's favor on the offensive end is, you know, obviously Jimmy Butler is a really good uh, wing defender, and he can maybe slow down either Leonard or, uh, or Siakam, but the fact that Toronto has both of those guys they can go to, uh, I don't particularly love Tobias Harris as a defensive player. So they can kind of attack whoever uh, Harris is guarding in a lot of situations, and I think they 're going to have success with that and frankly i I think Toronto has a significantly better bench and, and I think that also is going to come into play and and, and as much as uh, I like Brett Brown for the fact that he stuck it out with all of those horrible philadelphia seventy sixers teams in the in the process with with the early years of Sam Hinkie, uh, I think they 're at a coaching disadvantage as well. I think Nick nurse is uh, has shown all season long that he's a pretty good uh, tactical decision maker.
2: Yeah, that's a good point. One question I had for you is: Would your opinion on the series change if Dwayne Casey was still the coach?
1: Yes, I, uh, I, <laughs> I, I would yes. definitely make it uh, a lot more competitive. I would probably go Raptors in seven if that was the case. I think Dwayne okay. Casey was just a, uh, is just a really awful postseason coach. He's a guy that. You know, gets a lot out of his teams, but when it came to making adjustments on the fly, he just, uh, you know, he was a, a total failure at that.
2: Yeah, I, I, I watched the uh, Cavs Raptors series for the last few years just very closely, and it was just such a huge disadvantage just because of his to make adjustments. Yep,
1: yeah, and, and that was the thing, too, is, you know, you, you think about adjustments in terms of game-to-game, but you've got to make adjustments quarter-to-quarter and half-to-half, and, you know, he would... He would do an okay job, I would say, of of making adjustments game to game. Uh, but but oftentimes it was the in game adjustments. You know, uh, the other coach would throw some new str- tactical strategy at them, and it wouldn't be until the, the the next night where they'd look at the film till they could actually come up with a counter. Yeah,
2: absolutely. And uh, I think mean, those in quarter adjustments are so huge in the playoffs. It's just something that was his weakness.
1: All right, well, uh, that's that's all we had uh, for for those couple of series. Uh, was there any other thoughts you had, whether it's about uh, the the first round that we've seen, or, or or any other stray thoughts about these upcoming series? Before we go,
2: yeah, I mean, I, I just really enjoyed the first round. Uh, going into the first round, I was a little skeptical on how, how competitive it'd be, especially the East. And I guess the East really hasn't been that competitive, but overall, I've been really uh, I'm really excited about the first round. I'm excited about the second round series as well. I think those would be really competitive.
1: Yeah, I uh, the the Spurs Denver series has been has been really fascinating to me, and we're recording this when that game is just getting started. So right now it's two to two, but I think the winner of Game Five is is most likely going to advance. But but that has been a, a really interesting series, and and as you mentioned, the the conference semifinals these might be the best conference semifinals in the history of the NBA, given the Warriors Rockets, uh, and and both of the series in the East uh, are are all just uh, you know. Between juggernaut-like teams. Yeah, uh,
2: I mean, i completely agree this, this is the second round that I was looking forward to from the preseason, just because there are sort of these four teams in each conference that were really <laughs> sticking out.
1: All right, Jameer, thank you, uh thank you so much for taking the time and coming on. This was a lot of fun.
2: Yeah, thank you so much for having me.
1: Thanks so much for listening to Duncan Dynasty. Uh, if you'd like to support the show you can uh, you can subscribe to the program on iTunes if you can leave a uh, a rating and review that would be greatly appreciated as well uh, the show is also now on Spotify uh, if you can uh, give the show a follow again a rating on there uh, that uh, that really helps a lot if uh, if you've got any uh, questions or comments or uh, or ideas for uh, for future episodes uh, you can contact me Uh, On Twitter at Garrett Bougay, and also uh, my email is g-bougay at onu.edu. So uh, feel free to uh, to uh, give me any of your ideas. I I love to hear from uh, from the people listening to the program. And uh, enjoy the next week of the NBA calendar. And uh, have a great rest of your day. Leftovers or
0: chambacasino.com live the chumba life no purchase necessary prohibited by law et plus terms and conditions apply see website for details mobile phone companies say they offer home internet but if their internet comes from a cell phone network you should know it's just phone internet not home internet keep your home up to speed with cox cox internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5g home internet cox is the real home internet you're looking for